Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to talk to a guy that I've been learning from over the last couple of years or so, I guess, now. And he's got a lot of insight on some very specific battles that we're facing today as the church, uh, and uh, both in the church and the world, really. I mean, it's it's really crippling Western, uh, the Western world, really, with CRT and critical, all the critical race theory stuff and social justice stuff. But I'm talking mm-hmm. to A.D. Robles today. A.D., how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Jared. Thank you so much for having me on the, on the podcast. I'm excited. Good deal. Well, hey, why don't we go ahead and pray, and then we'll get after it. Father, we just thank you for this time. I just ask that you would lead, that you would guide this discussion. I pray that it would be helpful. We have pastors that are facing this stuff, and their members are facing this stuff. Some of the things that they're facing, they hadn't even thought about before, and they're wondering, where does this all come from? And I thank you that you've been using AD to speak to these issues in a way that's helpful and lucid and, and really equipping to those who listen to him. And so I thank you for the insight you've given him. I pray that this will be uh, just a helpful discussion. I trust you'll point us to Jesus and help us out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, for those who may not know who you are, why don't you go ahead and just bring, it, bring us up to speed. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and then what it is that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer. I, I used to pastor a small church in, in Vermont, um, but uh, I, I haven't done that in a couple of years. It was a small church plant that didn't work out. Um, and I've got a, a small family. I've got a wife and three sons, and we now live in New Hampshire. But what people know me for online is I've been uh, commenting about the social justice movement for almost three years now um, in the evangelical church. And so I kind of got my, my first big break, so to speak, you might say, uh, <laughs> from the MLK 50 conference. That's mm-hmm. um, how most people first found my content. Uh, um, I wasn't the only one speaking up about that conference, but I was one of the few, at least initially, Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I, you know, I never set out to be a professional YouTuber or podcast or anything like that. Um, I kind of did sporadic videos and, um, people just kept finding them helpful and kept watching them. So I just kept doing them. So now, um, you can find me on YouTube. Um, just type in 80 Robles, R O B L E S. Um, I've got a ton of videos on there, probably over 700. Um, and I'm also podcasting for the fight, laugh, feast network as well. Once a week. So you can go to the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network and uh, check out my stuff there as well. And it's all about the same topic, but um, I, try to, I try to make the Fight, Laugh, Feast stuff more, um, more uh, digestible and you know, more, uh, I don't know how to put this, but I guess pastoral is the right word, but, but I'm not a pastor. But you know what I'm trying to say, just a little right. bit more. If you want to send it to someone who, who, might be, who might be sensitive to some of the Big Eva stuff and the social justice stuff, that's probably the content to send. My YouTube channel is a little more no holds barred. So <laughs> yeah, good deal. Anyway, so, I, yeah, I, so that's what I'm doing now. Um, it's good stuff. Cool. I think I first ran across you when I saw a link from, I think it was Paul Maxwell who linked in and said, I don't know who this guy is, but he's got some good stuff to say. I think it was about affirmative action yeah. or something and being Puerto Rican and maybe yeah. uh, getting a position or getting in school or something. I watched as man, this, this is good stuff. And so I've been following along here and there since then. Um, Okay, so uh, the, the MLK thing was a big thing. You were pastoring at the time. Uh, now you're not pastoring. Are you, yes. you going to pursue that again? Are you going to be in pastoral ministry again? I mean, I know that you can't tell the future. And uh, yes. is that still a desire of yours? It's a valid question. Um, it's not off the table, but I'm not pursuing anything. Um, okay. 
And um, so, so I have no plans for that, but I, but I, I'm not at the point where I would say that that would potentially could not change uh, that might change. And, um, and yeah, that's where I'm at with that. Okay. So you're in the live free or die state now in New Hampshire. You're not in Vermont anymore. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think yeah, it's like, it's, it's just like Vermont, except way better in almost every way. <laughs> I think you can ride a motorcycle without a helmet on it in New Hampshire. Is that true? I, I believe that is true. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the weird thing <laughs> not that is you should <laughs> no, not that you should, but the weird thing is Illinois is hyper regulated. I'm in Illinois. So like, but we don't claim Illinois as a whole. I mean, we're Southern Illinois. I mean, there is a, a true, uh, you know, thing in Illinois where if you're from Southern Illinois, you, you're, you are from Southern Illinois. You're not from, we don't claim Chicago. Uh, but in our hyper regulated blue state, for some reason, you can ride around on a motorcycle without a helmet and you can put your kid on the back of it without a helmet as well. I have no idea wow. how, wow. but yeah, so we have something in common with, uh, with the state of New Hampshire. Um, all right, well, wh- why don't you uh, bring us up to speed then when you became a Christian, when uh, you felt uh, some sort of call into ministry, because I mean, you haven't been in pastoral ministry yeah. you know, for a couple of years, but you had been in ministry. So, I mean, why don't you kind of walk us yeah. through your desire for the scriptures, yep. to teach the scriptures that... When did all that start? Tell us when you got saved, when you got called to ministry. Great question. Great question. Yeah. So, you know, relatively recently, as far as when, when I got saved, now I grew up in a Christian home and my, my father is a believer. My mother is a believer. And they, you know, they, they did um, what they were supposed to do. They took us to church. They, they taught us the Bible. They taught us how to pray before meals and all the stuff that you would do. I mean, they taught me about God and Jesus and all that stuff. But for me, it never really took, you know, I just didn't, it, it wasn't interesting to me. I didn't, I wasn't interested in, in any of those things. Um, and so I came back to faith. I, I, I would have called myself a believer as a child, um, but mostly just so that my, my parents wouldn't be disappointed in me. Um, but I, I truly came to faith though, after college, I was living in New York city. And, um, you know, I was, I was making a lot of money. Um, this is right before the, um, the financial crash. So we're talking 2008, 12 okay. years ago, something like that. I was making a ton of money, more than I should have been at that time. And in New York, you can get into a ton of trouble. And so I was living a fast life. You know, I was, I was doing all kinds of drugs. I was uh, going to clubs and all kinds of uh, illicit activities. And I just didn't care at all. Um, and um, so then the financial crisis hit. And I all of a sudden overnight, you know, I was in a kind of a salesy type job. My income takes like a 50% cut. Mm. and I'm still living the fast life. But things now, because I'm not making as much money, things are starting to be a little bit more stressful <laughs> around mm-hmm. me. Right. Um, and then, so it all kind of came to a head. I, I was in a relationship with a, a woman who was married, and I remember being very terrified about that because I remember when she broke it off, I was really upset with her because I felt betrayed. Mm. But I thought about that, and I was thinking, you know, that's pretty twisted <laughs> because right. I was the, the one that was causing the problem, you know? And so, but I didn't care. I was just upset. And so I knew that something needed to change. And I, I visited my father uh, in Ohio for Thanksgiving that year. And uh, I went to his church and his pastor was preaching on the prodigal son. And he was leaning very heavily on the Tim Keller book, the prodigal God. Right, right. And, um, you know, I had heard the story before, of course, and I've heard, I'd heard the gospel before, of, but I had never felt it. I never really understood it so much because then I did right then because I was that prodigal son who wasn't spending my father's money, but, but still I was, I was squandering everything I had, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that's kind of how I don't have a moment in time where I was like, oh, I'm putting my faith in Christ. But, but at that right. point, from then on, I, I had put my faith in Christ. You know, I, I, I started learning more and believing more and trusting God more and obeying God more and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was like, man, this gospel is not only is it, not only does it sound good, but it's actually real. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? It's good. This is real stuff. And so over time, I became a believer and I met my wife very quick, quickly after that. Um, she, she went to the church, the, the Bible study that I first found after I became a believer. Um, and we got married and, you know, I kind of always was told by people that would be mentoring me and my pastors that, that God had some calling on my life because I, you know, had a passion for, 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 for understanding the scriptures and for teaching the scriptures and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And so I just pursued that and, yeah. um, that's how it went. Yeah. Well, very cool. So, I mean, you know what it's yeah. like to be a pastor and you know, everything that's going on yes. in our world, world today. And I'm talking primarily, we're talking today to primarily pastors. And, you know, yeah. I had my eye, my eye on what was happening with the MLK 50 and all of that several years ago, but it really wasn't uh, on the radar to the degree it is now. And then with George Floyd happened this year in 2020, I see all of my friends and people who've been walking with the Lord for many years with these black box pictures on their Instagrams and Facebook walls and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, um, so now you, you'd become a Christian, you pursued ministry, and then yeah. you started seeing some things that a lot of pastors didn't see. Yeah. And then guys like Tom Askell and all the guys that put together the statement on social justice and the gospel, they were, they were out in front of this stuff yeah. and they, they, they saw, okay, this is where everything's going. And guys like myself, you know, are thinking, you know, I, okay, I see their issues there, but I don't think it's a, as big of a yeah. deal as what they're making it out to be. And what, you know, A.D. Robles sure. is making yeah. it out to be. And then right. everything in 2020 happens. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what they've been talking about. Yeah. So, you know, how, how did you go? You're in pastoral ministry now, but you start three years ago, started making these videos. Like what, what led you to start making these videos? Uh, and yeah. why keep doing it? Great, great question. And, um, you know, so, so at the time I, I had just started to see some imbalances, you know, from people that, um, that I respected, you know, conference speakers, people that wrote the books that I read and I loved and all that stuff. I had started to see just these, these, these political rants, but they weren't, it wasn't so much that they were political. It was, it was cause I didn't, I, I was never one of those guys that said, well, you know, Christian shouldn't be that political. I was like that, but it was that they were political and untrue. They, they were just, it was propaganda that I was hearing. It was the same propaganda that I was hearing on CNN, but I was hearing it from my political or not, not my, my theological heroes in the faith right. kind of thing. Like Chandler, and so I, like Chandler. I, I looked, and sure. Did, yeah. did you see, did you see the, the 2015, just to, sorry to interrupt, but that 2015 panel no with problem. the Acts 29 panel from, from that point, you know, I think everybody's kind of like, you know, scratching their head a little bit and being like, dude, what's going yeah. on Chandler. And from guys like that, yeah. I mean, guys that, you know, most yeah. everybody kind of in our age learn from, they're like, you know, what in the world's totally. going on? Sorry. Yeah. Keep going. No, 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 no problem interrupting because you're exactly right. We should, we should be naming who I'm talking about here. And that's exactly the kind of people I'm just, I'm talking about. I, I loved, I remember, I'll never forget listening through, I think it was a series he did on, maybe it was Ecclesiastes or something, but I, I remember listening to all 10 or 12 sermons, like in a day and a half, like I, I ate that stuff up. Yeah. It was so helpful to me and, and all of that. And so, so yeah, it was, it was guys like that. And so I just started putting out a few videos of, of 
very respectful videos and, uh, you know, and, and, and very tame. And what I mean by tame is, you know, the first five minutes of the video are me saying how great of a guy I think he is. And Matt Chandler's great. And I love him. And I've read his, all his books and I'm not going to say anything that's going <laughs> to take away from that. Like the first five minutes of the video are like me gushing about the guy and they say, but when he says this and that about white privilege, this it's not right. And I explain it, you know, I'm not just, you know, I'm not just saying he's wrong. I'm explaining it. Yeah. And so I did these kind of videos and I started getting pushback from those videos, almost like a, how dare you kind mm. of thing. How, how dare you say this about yeah. Matt Chandler? And I even had some people call me white privilege for doing it. That's an example of white privilege, which I was very interesting for me to find out because I'm not white. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, well, and, don't and, you know and, that and James that Cone, of, you know, he says that, that whiteness is the absence of blackness. So if you're, if you're not, if you're not right. black, no matter what color you are, AD, come on, you're white. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, but so, so I, I knew I was onto something and I just, I didn't really know what. Um, and then since then, I've actually had time to really think about what my motivations are and why I continue to do these videos. Cause like I said, I have over 700 videos and right. I always tell people I'm a one trick pony. So how could I do 700 videos on the same topic essentially? Um, and, and I think what it really boils down to is I, I look at my own children and my own children are, um, are also not white <laughs> like me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I see a society that is very keen to tell my children that because of their ethnicity, they're victims and people are out to get them. Even if you can't prove it, you can be sure that they're out to get them. And I see society telling my kids that and uh, I, I, I'll, I'll be dead before I let a pastor who is, says he's speaking for God say the same thing to my children, because that's mm -hmm. a very poisonous mindset that your children naturally have. I call it the sin nature, where it's everyone else's fault, it's not mine. Yeah. And right. you try to train that out of your kids. And so I, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that my kids and other in the future generations aren't being told by people that have the authority uh, of, of a pastor um, telling them the same fake story about mm -hmm. their victim status. That's like the worst possible thing to tell uh, someone <laughs> that, yeah. that it's not your biggest problem is not you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's white people, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. You could just, you could just replace it with whatever you want. Cause that's the thing about critical theory. Let's not, let's not use that term because we haven't discussed it yet, but that's, the, that's about this ideology. You can, you can replace the skin color. So it's today yeah. it's white people tomorrow. Who knows what it's going to be, but like, it's, it, that's a very bad thing to tell people. Yeah. Well, we'll get to critical theory here in a minute and, and get some real sure. good definitions here. But uh, in the secular world, non-Christian world, you've got people like Thomas Sowell. You've got Larry Elder, who's doing some dynamite sure. stuff. I don't know if you saw his film uh, called Uncle Tom. It was a very, very, I mean, I, well done. Great, great film this year that came out. And you have people like Candace Owens. You have these, you have these black voices that are black conservatives. And they're sure. absolutely hated, hated in the world. They're hated by anybody that doesn't buy into the victim mindset for black people. And then over here in the Christian world with the things that you're doing and speaking against, if you speak against, you know, people who are saying that, well, you have white privilege or even, you know, suggesting that you could possibly glean something good from that Robin D'Angelo book and that kind of stuff that was popular sure. earlier yeah. in the year. And I mean, everything moves so quick. That was like popular for the first half of 2020. And then I haven't heard anything from it for the second half of 2020, but at some point I'm sure it'll come back up. Maybe 2021, it's going to come back. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe the gospel coalition will do a series and, uh, or something like that and have her on to talk about 
white fragility or something. But you guys speaking to this, Tom Askell speaking to this, even Vody Bakum speaking into this, seem to get the same kind of vitriol and anger that Thomas Sowell, that Larry Elder and Candace Owens gets from the non-Christian world. And it's in the Christian community coming at you guys. Why is that? Why is it so hated for Christians to not go along with what everybody else is going along with, what everybody else is saying? Why, why are you guys experiencing that kind of heat and friction for just saying, hey, there's something wrong here. You know, why is it? Yeah, well, I don't know really why it is, but 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 I do think that 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 my existence and um, you can put definitely put Larry Elder in that in that uh, category and Thomas Sowell, like the existence of these people that are are refusing to go along with the story that we're being told about about the oppression that blacks and Latinos experience, and they're just refusing to go along with it. Um, that's a very, it's hard for people to compute uh, mm -hmm. in their minds because, um, because there's the story that they've, they've bought into and that, that, that they believe is, is that, that this is just the way America is. I mean, we, we've, we're, we're, we're experiencing oppression. And so for someone that's supposedly experiencing the worst oppression imaginable, um, to say, actually, no, I, I don't believe that, and I've never experienced it, and it's it's not true, and here's the data that backs it up. It, that that you know, it's almost a threat to the to the um, to the prevailing narrative. It's a, it's a threat. Mm. It's it's like the kids that said the emperor doesn't have any clothes. Well, that people right. were horrified by that because it's revealing kind of a it, it's 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 uncomfortable to be in a position where someone is a direct contradiction. Their existence is a contradiction to what you are committed to. Right. You understand what I'm trying to say? So yeah. it, it's, it's, not, it's not easy for a white person bought into, into this narrative of racism being around every rock to meet someone like me who's like, nope. And by the way, it's, 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 it's sinful for you to even say so. And it actually hurts the very people you're claiming to help. And mm -hmm. I'll show you an example of that. And, and that, that's uncomfortable for people. Yeah. Yeah, and I tell you, so many people are getting sucked into this. I mean, you've done some work from, yeah. from Chandler to even the recent things that were coming out from Piper. I've not listened to those yet or anything that you've said yet about those recent articles that came out from Piper. Um, but I think it'd be helpful for guys to get some definitions here because we're hearing language and terms that everybody kind of feels like we understand a little bit. But for those listeners that are, are tuning in and wondering, okay, can we please just define, let's get a clear, concise definition, explain in layman's terms, what is critical race theory? And why is social justice tied into that? And what is the difference between that and biblical justice? Why don't you go ahead and just give us definitions for critical race theory, social justice, and biblical justice, and, and why there is that contention between social justice and, and, and biblical just, justice. Um, I don't, I don't know if I quite understand the last part of that question. Can you repeat that? Okay. Why there is so much contention from people who are saying oh. we, we don't need social justice. We have biblical justice here. We, well, that's what we're pursuing. And both yeah. sides seem to be confusing each other, at least not understanding each other. And I think even intentionally not understanding each other, but um, why is biblical justice a million times better than social justice, but social justice is tied into CRT. So let's just define some terms first and kind of go in order CRT, yeah. social justice, and then biblical justice. Yeah. And so, so critical race theory, CRT, you know, this is, and this is one of the problems that we have because, you know, it's, it's not going to be a monolith. 
Um, and it's going to be something that people will have different perspectives on. But the way I always look at this is critical race theory is, is, is an idea. It's a way to, it's a way to view uh, human interactions and, and everything is, is kind of boiled down to power dynamics. And so if you look at a society and you see, you know, in, in our society, you know, white people have the majority of the wealth. White people are in the majority of CEO positions. White people are the majority in our, you know, halls of Congress, whatever, whatever it is, like the power structures, then you can be sure that 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 fact, um, those those white people are going to work in their own white best interests, and so we, everything in life, everything that happens, every law, every interaction, every relationship, needs to be examined in in light of those those power dynamics. And so, racism in critical race theory is not so much the old fashioned like I don't like you because you're black. It's more of white people if they're in power are going to set things up to benefit themselves. Mm. Uh, they're going to set things up against everyone that's not white. That's just how it is. It's a, it's a, it, these socially, these social groups, you know, there's no individuals, it's just white people and black people. Um, and so th those, th that, that the way that society is, is, is set up is going to benefit the majority. That's just how it is. It's natural and we need to study it and call it out. Okay. And so, so critical, critical race theory, Theory is a way to view every institution in society. Um, essentially, is is serving the interests of whoever's in charge, whoever has the power. Okay, so then social justice would be with that foundation, building upon that, trying to correct that. Then that's the presupposition yeah. that that's everywhere, and then social justice would be let's correct that in every aspect of society. Correct. Right. Right. So social justice would be a. a, a, a a euphemism for making things even, you know, trying to trying to distribute power and 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 wealth and income and privilege and everything, um, distribute it in a more equitable way. Well, what's more equitable? Um, that's that's up for debate, but um, it's 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 just better than it is right now. Put it that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's it's interesting. The other day I was putting online. Um, just a few thoughts about this. I mean, United States is 73% white. And if we were 73% black, we would feel, feel, quote unquote, feel more black than we did white. And that wouldn't be a wrong thing. It would just be a natural disparity because the majority of population would be 73% black. But because the population is 73% white, naturally, it's going to feel more white. And anywhere you go across the world, whatever society you're in, whatever the predominant color and culture is, that society is going to feel like, feel more like that predominant color and culture. And that's not wrong. It's just a natural outcome of population mm -hmm. disparities. Some of the insanity that I've been for seeing sure. is that you can't even allow for natural disparities. And if you even speak to natural disparities, like, right. wait a minute, the population base in this country is 73% one color so because of that, there's yeah. going to be natural disparities here. Then you're looked at as a racist. You can't even think in logical so terms anymore. Right. So let's, let's bring this down to a, pastor, a pastoral level. So like an individual church, right? So one of the things that you may have been hearing is that our churches ought to look like the book of Revelation. Right. And it's just said, it's just said that that's how our churches should look. And the, and the idea being put, presented there is that if you have a church— um, and it's 90% white or like, you know, 90% uh, 
um, you know, white male or rich or whatever it is, then you need to go back to the drawing board because that's actually a problem. There's an injustice there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you need to correct that. It needs to be more proportional. Um, and, and, and that's, that's an idea that you've probably heard pushed by gospel coalition, the ERLC, or, yep. you know, even someone not connected to those, but just a, 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 a big name. Right. And, um, that's, that's an, that's an idea that's, that's similar to what we're talking about for like society at large brought into the local, you know, church context. I'm not saying that diverse churches are bad, but what I, what I am, what I am saying though, is that a, a, a mono ethnic church and a church that's 90% white is not necessarily a problem. That's it good. could be, but it's not necessarily a problem. And so anyone who's telling you that that's something that ought to be corrected um, is not actually giving you something that comes from the Bible because you couldn't, you couldn't show me in the Bible where that would be the case. Yeah, that's helpful because I think there's a lot of pastors walking around in guilt thinking, why, why is it that we're predominantly a particular color? And you, you're not even able to answer that question by saying, well, our, yeah. our city is 97% white. Uh, so, I mean, we're going to be predominantly white. Well, in our community, we're pretty diverse. We're a smaller university town in Southern Illinois. Sure. And our church right now does not match the diversity in our city. I mean, we, we really, we don't, we have some pretty good age sure. diversity. And I used to say just two or three years ago, I hope in 10 years that our church matches, you know, and kind of looks like our city. And I've not said that for, I don't know, now maybe a year, year and a half now, because it's like, you know, I don't really care. God bring us whoever you want to bring us and raise sure. up whoever you want to raise up to be sure. in leadership. And, you know, we, we trust you in this. So we're just going to keep obeying you the best that we can through the leading of the Holy Spirit and obedience to the scriptures right. and see what you do and not worry about any of that, to be honest, just not, not worry about it yeah. at all. But right. If, well, I'll say this. Let, let, let me say this, because I, I don't want to give the impression that, you know, you don't want to consider what you're doing. If you're in a diverse area and your church is monoethnic, again, I'm not saying that's a problem, but it might be a good exercise to think, okay, well, are we doing anything that's intentionally or, or not intentionally, but, 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 but actually pushing people away. Um, and, and think an honest evaluation of that is fine, but, but you can't walk around with this guilt that that's the, the, the disparity in and of itself means that I am unjust or I am racist. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's, that's the inappropriate, you know, assumption that I think critical theory brings into the equation. That's not necessarily true. Um, but of course, self-evaluation is good. And, you, and even if you want to pray to that end, you know, you, mm -hmm. you think that there's value, biblically speaking, to having a diverse church and you pray to that end. I don't, I don't think there's a problem with that. I don't think you're required to do that, but there's no problem with that. But, but, but again, like the real question, and this is what the, the debate between biblical justice and social justice is, essentially. The, the real question every pastor should be asking themselves is, Am I organizing my worship biblically? And yeah. I should be reevaluating it always to make sure that I'm following the scriptures as close as possible. And it's the same thing with justice. The mm -hmm. question is not, um, well, this law that you put on the books, it uh, disproportionately affects black people. And so it's unjust. That's actually not the question we should be asking. It's, it's does this comport to what God would want our civil magistrate to do? Yeah. And if it does, the disparities, that's just the way it is. And we got to figure that out. Um, you know, you know why that is, and maybe maybe more resources as from a Christian church need to be poured into some of these communities that are disproportionately affected by, say, a uh, uh, law against murder or something like that. But it's not but it's not unjust if 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 God's law says it, then mm -hmm. we we institute it, and if it affects a certain community more than others, it's not unjust in and of itself. Critical race theory would say no. That that's a that's a sign of in, of of 
in, an injustice. Yeah. That's again, that's very, very helpful. I think 2020 it's, it's been interesting to watch and it's been helpful to me this year as God has driven me to the scriptures because we've had to get answers. A lot of pastors have had to get answers to questions that we've not had before. We've not faced what we've been facing in 2020. And I think it's driven a lot of people to become theonomist or theonomy light or general equity sure, theonomist sure. or just look into God's law, into government, reading books like uh, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates by Matthew Trella. I got a, had an interview with him earlier this year and it was really, really helpful. And Lex Rex and just turning to get some answers. A lot of the Tyler, Texas stuff that was happening in the 80s and the Reconstructionists, I think a lot of attention and eyes are kind of turning to Rush Dooney and a lot of these people that, sure. you know, in the in the popular world, they're like, you know, stay away. Don't, don't go in that direction at all. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. we're faced with 2020 and we're seeing all these pastors around saying, well, whatever the government says, as long as they're not asking us to preach the gospel, then I guess we're going to shut down our churches for the next nine months. And right. what you're, you've been talking about for the last three years, I think, has been preparing pastors to really think through this about, okay, what's the difference between social justice and biblical justice? And so please help, guys. You mentioned God's law. You mentioned uh, yeah. you know, that we've got to consider what God has to say about this and, and the parameters that he has set in his word. So what is biblical justice and why is that not just an alternative to social justice, but like this is the right yeah. thing. It's the right thing to pursue what God has to say about any given topic, not just within the church, but within the world as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So the idea here is that um, God God has um, divided, he, he's decided to work through through people and he he delegates authority to different spheres of of existence, and so he delegates certain authorities to the father in, in the family. Um, he delegates certain authorities to the church, and then he also delegates certain authorities to the civil uh, governing authorities. And um, what the Bible says is that all authority comes from God, and when it comes to the civil governing authorities, they are a deacon; they're a servant of God. And he says for the purposes of uh, avenging um, against the evildoer, punishing the evildoer, and promoting what is good. And we have to understand that if, if the Bible's t- telling us that, that God gives the authority to the government to punish evildoers, then one of the things that, he, that, that the evildoer must do is define evildoer and define good according to reality, according to God's system. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about the government and what they should be involved in, the Bible gives us uh, a lot of a lot of law, um, and he he gave it to God gave it to Israel, and so we can understand that that was for a specific time, a specific people. Um, but there are principles there, and mm-hmm. I would call it the general equity of that law. I think a lot of uh, Reformed Baptists would call it that, and a lot of Presbyterians would call it that. There's principles in that law that we can take a look at and say, okay, well, we should figure out what is the, what is the moral principle here and how do we apply it in our modern context? Mm-hmm. Because we're not ancient Israel anymore. Yeah. We're in a different context. And so we need to find the principles and apply them as best we can to our current context. And if you do that, that's a pursuit of biblical justice, biblical law. And so we ought to punish the things, the crimes that um, God tells us we ought to punish, you know, in, in the ways we ought to punish them. We don't get, a, we don't get to make up our own crimes. Like, no. we don't get to say that worshiping on Sunday is a crime during a pandemic mm-hmm. because God didn't give us the authority to do that. He, yeah. only gave, he only delegated to us certain authorities, right? So um, that's what biblical justice is. 
And that's what a Christian ought to be promoting and pursuing. We should be yeah. trying to get our law to such a, to, to a place where it's as close to biblical law as possible without, repla- without replacing our, our constitution with the book of Leviticus, because that wouldn't be appropriate. That was, that was specifically for Israel. And we need to consider the moral principles and how do we apply it to a nation that's not Israel. Yeah. Because there's going to be some laws there that make no sense for us anymore because we're not the nation of Israel. Yeah, man, that's helpful. And I think a lot of guys are, as we're wrestling through the things with, again, with 2020, we were ill-prepared because I think yeah. somehow along the way, we thought that the scriptures are prescriptive for the church, even regulative principle folks. Yes, the scriptures, good confessional Baptists, confessional Presbyterians. Yes, for the people of God, but didn't know how the law of God or the scriptures were authoritative to the world. Yeah, yeah. And when Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, that means something, whether that authority is recognized yes. or not. And so we have a responsibility to announce to the world. It doesn't matter if you recognize God's law or not, you're going to be held accountable yeah, yeah. to it. And so this year has been fun for me to see like, man, hold on a second. I mean, the, the political area, the political realm is not just this thing that's isolated that God doesn't really care about, that he has nothing to say. Yeah. Uh, justice and, and law-breaking is just in its own category. And as long as you don't say that the scriptures are authoritative to you, you can just do whatever you want. No, sure. God has something to say. The law of God is going to hold everybody to, uh, to account and will stop everyone's mouth, Jew and Gentile, from speaking. They'll be held accountable. And so I think for, for so many people, this year has been like a, an awakening. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Jesus is Lord, whether yeah. you recognize it or not. Let me say this, Jared, because I, you know, I, I want to make sure to, to, to say, so, so, so you mentioned Rush Dooney, and I, I really appreciate a lot of Rush Dooney's writing. I think he was a genius. Um, but he can be rightly critiqued, I think, for, 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 for taking some laws from that I think were probably more specifically for Israel way too far for our modern context. So, right. so he would get too, he would get too close to, I'm going to replace the constitution with the book of Leviticus. He wouldn't say that, but he would get, you know, too close there. But, but the thing is though, we, we have to recognize though, that, that this idea of basing our, our laws and our, our, ju- our justice in a, as a country on the scripture for a Christian, it's an unavoidable concept, and I'd much prefer someone that's looking to actually uh, glean very specific details um, and maybe have to push back on him for going too far than yeah. someone who can, who can say, love your neighbor as yourself and pull anything out of that scripture that he wants to. Like, we've gotten to the point where we've got pastors, many pastors, who say, it, you know, closing down your church's worship on Sunday is a matter of loving your neighbor as yourself. What are they saying when they say that? They're saying it's a matter of the law of God. Yeah. And so if you don't do it, you're sinning against the law of God. That's what love your neighbor as yourself. It's a summary statement of the law. And, and then you ask them, well, well, where are you getting that? That's kind of weird. You know what I mean? I don't remember that. And they'll, they'll point to a law in Genesis that's, that's against you know, murdering mm-hmm. and say, well, the law against murdering requires you to shut down your church because that, the, the general <laughs> equity there is that we should be preserving life. Yeah. Well, the thing is like, that is so vague and ridiculous that it's almost beggar's belief that someone could draw from a law against murder that you have to shut down your church's worship if, the, if a pandemic is too dangerous. That's so preposterous. So like, there's another way though. There's another way. We don't have to have these, these overarching, like I can take, I can make love your neighbor yourself mean anything I want it to mean. We can actually go and look at the specifics of the law of God, the case laws of the law of God, 
And we want to be careful to, to not apply something today that shouldn't be applied to today. Yeah. But there are entire volumes out there that aim to do that work and they don't do it perfectly, but they do it way better than I can pull any pet project I want out of the command to love your neighbor as yourself, which is kind yeah. of sometimes what we get. Yeah. And it's, it's been interesting because when you so elevate, and I think the love your neighbor as yourself crowd, which obviously we love, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's Jesus. I mean, he, he told us to do that. We love that. Okay. Like, yes, we're, we're all on board yeah, with yeah. that. Um, but when you put public witness, this, this, uh, this idea of public witness and trying to preserve public yeah. witness, trying to preserve being salt in, in light in the world, you sacrifice obedience to God. And it's, it's like, here's the altar. Sure. We want, we want to preserve public witness. So we'll disobey God to get it and to procure that. At least that's yeah. the way we think we're going to procure that. And it's been sad. It's been very sad. And if there's any pastor out there that's still not gathering, you need to gather. I mean, it, you gather immediately that's this right. next Sunday, just repent to your people that you've not led them well, and then start gathering immediately. And if you want to put parameters or leave the decision in the hands of your people to say, Hey, gather, if you want to come, if you don't feel comfortable for a while, you know, stay home or wear, wear a mask if you want to wear a mask, but uh, open up and start gathering. And uh, God tells you to, I mean, it's as simple as that. That's right. That's um, right. All right. So man, if people are liking what you have to say and wanting to find out more and say they've not heard about you, where can they go to find out more about AD Robles and all that you're doing? Yeah. Well, you can, I have a website, adrobles.com. Um, and uh, that's someplace you can quickly go. Uh, but also on YouTube, that's my, that's where most of my content is. And like I said, I've got over 700 videos there. I upload almost every day during the week and um, definitely check me out there. 80 Robles. And that's R O B L E S. Finally, um, if you enjoy um, the, uh, the cross politic guys or the people at the fight, laugh feast network, um, I know that some of the people up in Moscow, Idaho are persona, you know, can't mention their name kind of thing, but um, there's a lot of good content on the fight, laugh feast network. And I'm on there as well. Good. Yep. We're not scared of saying Doug Wilson around here. So uh, <laughs> we love Dougie fresh. I ask everybody the last question, the same last question, because I want to give you an opportunity to praise God for his grace and his mercy to you. And so I just ask everybody a simple question. A.D. Robles, why do you love Jesus so much? Yeah, man. Well, uh, you know, here, here's the thing about, about why I love Jesus. You know, he is, I say this on my channel a lot. Like the, I say this about the scripture, but it, it applies to Jesus. So, uh, he, he's way better than you think he is. Way better. So he's a better king. He's a better priest. He's completely perfect in every way. And we all know that logically in our minds, um, but he's even better than that. Like every time I go to the scripture and I read uh, about what Jesus did and what Jesus said, and then I read the Old Testament and I realize that that was Jesus who brought his people out of out of Egypt. You know what I mean? That was, mm -hmm. that was Christ who did that. And I, I read about that. And I, I read about like, we're talking about love your neighbor as yourself. Right. And that's amazing. And then he realized that, that actually that like, like the whole law that he gave Moses, like that was Christ as well. Like that was, that was, mm -hmm. that was Jesus. And we, the person who created the world, that was Jesus. Like, like I, I, holding all that stuff together is hard to hold in your mind all at once. Like, like he did all that stuff. And then he decided that he was going to die for the sins of his people and included me in that number, mm -hmm. knowing about my, knowing my, my, my past sins, knowing what my future sins would be like, like that's just unbelievable to me. He's involved in all of these amazing things, like these miracles, these flat out miracles. And he knows my name. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
It's awesome, this is crazy, it? man. That's crazy. And I, yeah, I always think about like, like little things like, like uh, I'll never forget. <laughs> this is so stupid, but I'll, I'll say it because it's kind of funny. But I'll never forget the first time. I think it was either James White or someone else, like someone on his level, like Dr. Mm. Dr. James White or someone like that. The first time they like retweeted me, right? That felt pretty good. I was like, wow, this mm. guy knows about my work. And so like, that's so stupid. Like that's just a guy. He's just a man. Yeah, but Christ knows my name, hmm. and Christ died for my sins, and like that's that that blows my mind. Yeah, praise the God. Gu- the guy who created the world and the universe knows my name. Hmm. That's just crazy. That's good. It's good stuff, man. It's a great way to end, and uh, we could talk about Jesus and go on and on and on. But uh, I want to <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it, man. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Amen. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.